The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is Dex with the I Am Pits podcast and finally back for another episode. Feels good to be back in front of the mic. It's been a long week. It's been a long three weeks and finally finished up in service yesterday. So I I am now ready to go and face the criminal element in the world with my one eight hour day of jujitsu and my four hours of tactics training. And the six reps I did on entering a room and clearing it. So, yeah, we're good to go. Yeah, that's it's a shame, man. It really is a shame that. And I understand that logistics, money, manpower and time come into play when it comes to getting officers trained. But unfortunately, I'm not going to say we don't have those resources where we don't have the manpower, but we should definitely find the time and the money because what happened in Uvalde And the video that was released just goes to show that if you do not invest in your officers, in their time, in their training, you will get similar responses like in Uvalde, which is it's unbelievable. I watched the video. It's very upsetting. And, you know, there are still some people out here defending the cops. And I'll be honest, I don't like what they did, but I'm not going to shame them because These men are going to have to carry this with them the rest of their lives. And if one of those officers in that hallway ends up killing themselves, I do not want to be the catalyst that calls an officer that, I don't know, made a bad judgment, a bad call, was afraid to step up and say the right thing to pull the trigger in their own life. Because that is not what the show is here for. This show is not here to shame people. Well, some people, but but it's not. This does not exist to be that type of platform where I just crap on officers all day. Now, I will call people out that need to be called out. And yeah, Uvalde, there was a colossal mistake that was made during this whole thing. But the thing is, it's not just Uvalde. There were other agencies there, other officers from. I mean, there were so many people there and you can't just put this on one agency. This was, like I said, a colossal failure across multiple levels of what some want to say leadership, but you can't call it leadership because there was no leadership there. It was just a bunch of guys in a gaggle in the hallway trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And and although I'm being critical, I will say this. Sometimes you get in those situations and, you know, like we learned in training, you got three responses, fight, flight or freeze. You know, and for some odd reason, you know, these guys froze. Well, I'm not even going to say they froze, but they were trying to work the problem and figure it out. And the timeline started at like 30 minutes and man, the whole time ended up being 77 minutes. And that's just crazy. I don't understand, you know, but man, my heart goes out to the, those affected by Uvalde. My heart goes out to the families that lost their children. I mean, my heart goes out to the whole community and you know what? My heart goes out to the officers in that hallway. I can't sit here and say that I would want to be, in that hallway with those officers and have to deal with the repercussions of this because for the rest of their lives, 
Those officers are going to be known for this. No matter what they do, where they go, you're going to be that coward from Uvalde. That's that's going to be their legacy, unfortunately. And we are not very forgiving of each other in this profession or in this country. So that that officer is going to be labeled with that until he takes the until they take their last breath. So, yeah, like I said, we know we we have to be critical of each other and say when we're wrong, we're wrong. You know, but at, at the same time, man, we have to take care of each other in this profession because we're not getting any love from the media or outside of, of law enforcement. Yeah, there are people that still love and care about us, but dude, you know, like we have to pull together. And like I said, that's pulling together does not mean that we don't call each other out. But pulling together means that, hey, we call each other out, but show each other a better way forward. Here's the mistakes you made. This is what you did wrong. Here's how to make it better. That's what we did in in-service. And you can't take it personal. I have not, I'm not going to say I've not cleared rooms that recently. I clear rooms, but I don't do it as often as I would like. And because I don't train as often as I would like, I get rusty. And you know what? There are officers on this department that are young, single, and have a lot more time and money. And guess what they do? They go train. And know what I tell those younger officers? Hey, listen, if you see me do something stupid, feel free to snatch me up by the collar and put some words in my ear and tell me, don't do that. That's stupid. You're going to get yourself killed. You're going to get somebody else killed. Don't think because I have 13 years in this profession that I, you can't tell me that I did something wrong. I would appreciate it. But the problem is we have a lot of ego in this job. We have a lot of guys that have been doing this job a long time. And guess what? You can't tell them nothing. Well, guess what? I'm one of those guys that's a seasoned veteran. And I want you to tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Because I do not want to have to live with the shame of making a bad decision and getting someone hurt or killed. Or I don't want my family to have to live the rest of their lives without me because I made a dumb decision and I got shot in the freaking face. So, man, that's what, like I said, that's what we got to work on together as officers and as a community and as a blue line family. Man, I don't know if y'all watched the video, but my God, there's one thing that stood out in that video, man, was well, two things. One, the kid in the hallway. My God, that is the most blessed, luckiest, holy kid I've, man. I mean, this kid was, I mean, moments away from being shot to death. And I mean, the shooter just missed him by moments, moments, man. And the other thing we have to look at with this shooting is from the time the shooter entered the school and went into that room, man, he fired off over a hundred shots, a lot of shots. And I think, he, like I said, in the initial Uvalde response to this, he killed most of those kids in that small amount of time. So, I mean, most of those kids were and people in that room were dead from the jump where there were some that were still alive. But that does not excuse what the officers in the hallways did and the decisions that were made, because, you know what, maybe if they got in there sooner, hey, they could have stopped some stopped the bleeding, saved some lives. But unfortunately, that is not what happened. And there are a lot of people talking crap on these officers that have never been shot at. There's a lot of people talking crap on these officers that have never responded to a high stress situation. And then we also have people that have never been in a fight in their lives trying to tell you how to be courageous and be a hero. So I take offense to that because you ain't never had skin in the game 
and your ass is not in the arena playing. You're a spectator that ain't never played the sport. Spectators don't get to tell Tom Brady when to throw and how to throw and who to throw to. So I don't want to hear from you if you're a civilian and you've never done anything with your life. But yes, you are entitled to your opinion. And I'm also entitled to tell you, shut the hell up. Nobody cares what you think. Now, for my fellow officers, I will take that all day. People that have been in the game, I will take that criticism. But not from some fat neck beard living in their mother's basement trying to tell me how to be a hero. I'm not playing that game, homie. So, like I said, we have a lot to learn going forward. And I know we look at Uvalde as a tragedy as it is. But also we can look at the positives that are going to come out of this. There are going to be a lot of lives saved in the future because of Uvalde, because of the mistakes made and officers are going to think a little bit more and try to do the right thing when they get called to a chaotic scene. And speaking of chaotic scenes, if you hear some noise in the background, you have to pardon me. I have a gaggle of mini Negroes running around upstairs in the house. So my apologies. <laughs> My nephew is over at the house and my kids and him are having the time of their lives. And I have to keep yelling, shut up, be quiet up there. And of course, just like any other time, no one is listening to dad or Uncle Dex. So it is what it is. And speaking of Negroes, we got another Negro we got to talk about. Well, actually two. And they're not many. They're actually very, very tall, very athletic. Brittany Griner. I am sure that most of you all have been keeping up with the Brittany Grider saga over in Russia, where she has been locked up for over 140 days. Well, she, the other day she went to court and she pleaded guilty to possession of marijuana in Moscow. And she is facing at the minimum a $5,000, well, not $5,000, it's Russia, 5,000 ruble fine, which is the equivalent in America to $87. So she got the money. But that's not the scary part for her. The scary part is that she could be facing up to 10 years in jail for a couple of vape cartridges filled with that devil's lettuce. Damn, 10 years. Well, the one thing that shocked me about this was her face when they brought her to court. If you all have seen the picture, you could look at Brittany Grider's face going into that courtroom. And you can look in her eyes and see that she had the thousand yard stare. If you don't know what the thousand yard stare is, that is the stare that people have on their face after they have seen some. Sh That's what she had, man. The look on her face. I've seen that look plenty of times. I've had that look on my face. I've seen it in the eyes of officers and soldiers who just got into some sort of incident. So, I mean, she's been over there 140 days. And I'll tell you what, there is no telling what she has been through. And although I am not a Brittany Grider fan with her anti-American stance and her not wanting to stand for the, you know, the anthem and not wanting it to be played at the games, she is still an American citizen and she's entitled to her opinion. And I do not want to see anyone suffering in a foreign jail because I know not from personal knowledge. I'm just saying I've seen I've seen some documentaries in my time, folks. I would not want it to be me. But the other person we got to talk about in this saga is the king himself, Mr. LeBron James. 
old dumbass ball dribbling LeBron James with another ignorant comment. Here it is. Listen to it. You know, you always feel like, you know, if you're from a certain place, you always feel like like they got your back. And in, and in a sense, like now, how can she feel like America has her back? Like, I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America if I'm, I've been gone over 130 days and, and I feel like it's been zero effort? I got a question. Does LeBron James have to practice at being this ignorant like he practices at basketball to be the best? I'm sure he is practicing to be this stupid. I mean, that's the only logical explanation I can have. I can think of. Do you think she would choose once she gets released from Russia in a Russian prison or Russian jail to stay in Russia? Bro, do you know what would have happened if she got caught with vape cartridges over here in the U.S.? Probably not a damn thing. Okay, she gets arrested in a state where they're kind of hard on it. She go to spend the night in jail, maybe a couple days, but not a hundred and hundred plus days. Man, this dude is so freaking ignorant. And it just goes to show how much of an elitist he is with him and all his money and how horrible America is. He would never want to come back here. I guarantee you right now that Brittany Grider is doing everything she can to get back to the United States. Hence the reason why she wrote a letter to President Biden. Do you think she wants to be stuck there? No. So for this dude to say something so stupid and ignorant just proves how detached from reality he is. You know, this dude hates America so much, but America is the country that has made him who he is. And now don't get me wrong. He's put in the time and the effort and he was born with the genetic ability to be able to do what he does. But do you think he would have been able to do that somewhere else? I don't think so. Now, and if he did, he'd have to work a lot harder, a lot harder. But see, the thing with America is so many people love to hate America. But they not leaving because they love what America provides them, because you can't go anywhere else in the world and necessarily say these things about your country without someone coming to kill you or take you and throw you in jail. And see what LeBron James does not realize when he makes a statement as, you know, they, they've not even done anything to try to help her. And people are mad at President Biden because he hasn't done anything to get her out of there. This is not Joe Biden's fault. This is all Brittany Grider's fault. She is a grown woman that knew where she was at or where she was going and made the decision to break the law in Russia. This is on nobody else. And guess what? You're mad at President Biden for not coming to try to make her wrong right? Like I said, I'm not a Biden fan, but listen, we can't put everything at this guy's feet. We can't put our personal decisions and bad decisions that we make at the feet of President Biden and say this is Biden's fault because it is not. She's the one that did what she did. And now she's got the thousand yard stare. She's shocked that she's locked up in jail in Russia. And I don't know what it is, but Americans always seem to be shocked. When they travel abroad and they find out that the rest of the world is not America. If you go overseas and travel around to another country and you FAFO, if you don't know what that is, look it up. You will be shocked. You would think Americans would have learned this lesson already. We've had so many Americans go overseas and do something stupid. And then the next thing you know, they got that look. They got that Brittany Grider look on their face. Why is this happening to me? That's because the rest of the world is not America. America is soft, y'all. 
I'm telling you right now, America is very soft. We have high crime in America because our justice system is soft. Man, they don't mess around overseas. And like I said, we have so many examples of not to go overseas and do something stupid. 2017. I don't know if y'all remember this dude. This dude was Otto Warmbrier. He's a uh, young college kid. He goes to North Korea on a trip and he tries to steal a propaganda poster from his hotel. Man, I remember seeing this dude in the courthouse crying, screaming as he is dragged away by North Korean soldiers. This dude, they sentenced him to 15 years of imprisonment with hard labor. 15 years, all because he tried to steal a poster in North Korea. That's nobody's fault but his. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to slap you on the wrist? No, they hate Americans. And if you give them an inch to do something to you over there, bro, they're going to take a whole mile. And guess what happened to this dude? Next thing you know, they return him home to the United States, but he's in a medically induced coma. And guess what? He shortly dies after that. And guess what? They didn't tell us what killed him. They didn't tell us what put him in a coma. Now, they tried to say it was botulism, but it wasn't botulism. Man, they beat the hell out that dude, man. And the next thing you know, his parents are having to bury him because he D.E.D. dead. Don't go overseas in F.A.F.O. And also in the same year, you would have thought people would have learned from his experience. Nope. Got this young, unsuspecting, liberal, love everybody, white couple named Jay Austin and Laura Gohagen, both in their 20s. And they decided that, you know what? Evil's not real. Evil's just made up. Evil's a make-believe concept. We've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs. And by large, humans are kind. Self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind. Generous and wonderful and kind. That's how they feel about all people, all cultures. Well, 2017, guess what they did? They decided they're going to quit their jobs and go travel the world to show that Evil is not real and just made up and that it's just a misunderstanding between people. Well, guess what happened? They go to Tajikistan and they're riding bikes. And guess who they run into? ISIS. You know, ISIS ain't really evil. They just, you know, it's just a misunderstanding between us and Islamic terrorism. They're really nice people. So you know what ISIS does to welcome them? ISIS runs them over with their car, gets out of the car, realizes they're not dead, and then stabs them both to death. And I don't know if y'all remember this incident. This was from 2018. A young man named Josh Allen Cho. He was from America, Scottsboro, Alabama. He's an evangelical Christian missionary. He went to this little isolated island that was located off the coast of India. And it's a sentinel island. And he was trying to go there to convert these people to Christianity. Well, it's a they were called these people are called the Sentinelese. And they didn't like him too much. And he got on the island and they killed him instantly. Now, for this one, I hate that it happened because because as a man of God, I do believe in spreading the word of Jesus Christ. I do believe in spreading the gospel. And what this did do did was he was going to work for the Lord and spread the good word to people that have not had the chance to hear the gospel. And unfortunately, he died for it. But I can't think of a better cause to die for than spreading the gospel to the four corners of the earth. So I'll give him props for that because I mean, that's the same thing that happened to the disciples after Jesus Christ died. They kept spreading the gospel and they all died 
horrific, horrendous deaths for the Lord. So I will give them that. But still, me personally, I'm not a Christian missionary. Me, I'm not going to an isolated island to spread the gospel. I'm sorry. Hey, man, if you ain't got TikTok, if you ain't got, you know, Instagram, you don't listen to podcasts where you live at, bro, you probably ain't going to hear from me. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. I'm not traveling to these unknown parts of the earth. Jesus did not call me to do that. I did my time in Iraq. I'm good, y'all. I am all the way good. But, you know, people like that, I don't understand what Americans don't realize that the rest of the world is not like us. And so while everybody's mad at, Brit at uh, President Biden and the United States government for not getting Brittany Grider out of jail, realize this is not on the American government. This is on Brittany Grider. And I say, I don't know what she was thinking, putting those things in her bag, going to Russia, knowing the consequences would be a lot steeper. She probably wasn't thinking, man. She was probably hanging out with Hunter Biden the night before. And she got caught up in the party. And it's like, hey, man, hey, Hunter, I got to pack my bags, bro. I got to go to Russia and just threw her vape pens in the bag and wasn't even thinking about it. Which I'm sure if any of us were partying with Hunter Biden, we all would have made the same mistake, right? I'm just saying, y'all like that segue, don't y'all? Man, boy, this Hunter Biden leak, this is a gold mine. My God. I'm telling you, this leak, man, it makes me want to throw my phone away. And I'll be out there, ain't nothing crazy on my phone, but my God. This is why I don't want to get into politics or anyone around me to get into politics and get famous. Well, I don't want nobody hacking into my phone or my laptop. My God, boy, they put his whole life on blast. But not just that. It's just he put his life on blast because this dude, like, I mean, this dude is just living his best life. I mean, my God, man, Hunter Biden don't give a F. He's just doing his thing and not hiding it. I mean, this man spent 30K on prostitutes in five months, 30K on some strange. And I'm over here struggling to fill my gas tank. And cussing his daddy out daily because of his inflation. I know what y'all thinking. Man, you sound a little bitter. You sound a little jealous. Well, I am a little bit. But not at the crack whores and the crack. Not that. Just at the money. My God. Just imagine having that much money. You could just blow 30K without blinking at prostitutes and crack. And, I mean, that's only a small snippet of Hunter Biden and partying. And if you all have not seen the video, I highly suggest you go watch it. I mean, this dude got his junk out and his ass out in all these videos going down water slides, swimming, partying. My God, man. That, I mean, this dude, I don't know how this dude is, like 50s. This dude living it, like, living it up like he's still in a frat, like he's still in college. But you know what? If Joe Biden was my daddy, I'd probably be doing crack too, though, man. I couldn't even imagine. But the biggest question I have from all this is how does a mega wealthy politician's kid develop a crack habit? I am very intrigued by this. I want to know Hunter Biden's real origin story. I want to see the first moment he decided to smoke crack. And I want to see who was with him and who introduced him to it. I also want to see what his crack dealer looks like personally. I've met some people that smoke crack and I met a lot of crack dealers in 13 years of policing. And I also want to know where he gets his crack from. Or because since he's mega rich and he's a politician's kid, does he have somebody go get it for him? You know, I could just imagine some crackhead sitting at the corner of First and Broadway or at uh, Dixie and Hill by the Thorntons here in Louisville. And just this black stretch limousine pulls up and you see Hunter's head pop out talking to the black dude on the corner. Hey, man, you want to make some money? 
And the black dude gonna be like, Hell yeah, I wanna make some money. Hey, go buy me some crack. And then Hunter drops him like a $500 spot. And then he tells him, If you spend it anywhere else, I'm gonna kill you. And so that guy disappears, goes into a dark alley, knocks on the back door, gets a big old thing of crack, comes back, with, gives Hunter Biden the crack. And then Hunter Biden takes the bag, breaks off a small piece of crack, tosses it to him, then tells him, don't smoke it all in one place. And then rolls off. I'm not saying that actually happened. I'm just saying that's how I imagine it happened. Because I don't know. I just want to know how Hunter Biden became Hunter Biden. I really want to know. This is like it's super interesting to me. I mean, you don't see too many wealthy white people that smoke crack. I say I've now I've seen crackheads of all variety. I have, but never a wealthy white person on crack. And because what people don't realize is that drugs are cultural. And I'm not saying that to be racist. I'm just saying that's true. And I'm speaking from experience, not from smoking crack but from arresting people that have smoked crack and people that have sold it. That's all I'm saying, because you got to look at history. What was the big drug that came out that affected most black people in the 80s and 90s? Crack, the crack epidemic. But before that, what was the big drug that all the super rich people were doing? Cocaine. And then you got to look at Native Americans. What do they smoke? Peyote. Oh, that's all I'm saying, people. Don't get offended. I'm not saying that all black people are crackheads and all that. I'm just saying certain drugs go to certain people. I mean, hell, look at meth and heroin right now. Now, there are black people that do heroin and meth, but most of the majority is white people. Now, they got this thing here in Louisville called a Dixie Speedball, but that is mostly consumed by white people on the south end of Louisville on Dixie Highway. Hence the reason I don't work down on Dixie Highway in the third division. I don't, I don't want no part of that, you know, and the more I think about this, now it all makes sense why Hunter's dad, President Joe Biden, spent $30 million on safe smoking kits under the harm reduction program. He was looking out for his son. He was looking out for his boy because he know his son likes to smoke crack with whores. My God, how did we not see this? And, you know, with the way Joe Biden has been acting, I'm starting to question, is it dementia or is he high on crack? Because, you know, they say the apple don't far, far from the tree. So maybe Hunter Biden picked up his crack habit from his daddy. And that's because only a crackhead would send another one point seven billion to Ukraine to ensure that the Ukrainian government can continue to provide essential services such as health care. While the people in your country are struggling and suffering every day under President Biden's reign of terror on our economy and our everyday lives. One point seven billion. Do you know what that money could have gone to here in America? You know what? We're taking care of Ukraine's hospitals. But what about the Veterans Hospital, the VA hospital here in America? Now, I'm not going to get on here and just crap all over the VA because they do do some good work. But there is a lot of room for improvement at the VA, the hospital that takes care of America's fighting men and women. I get treated at the VA quite often. I'm getting old, man. I constantly find myself in the VAER, Lord knows. But, man, we could do so much better in how we treat our fighting men and women. We can. And you know what that takes? Funding. Money. 
We can find money to send overseas to take care of Ukraine, but we can't find money to invest back in the people that we swore to take care of. And I just don't understand why we are taking care of other country citizens while we, were ne while we neglect our veterans and provide them with subpar treatment, even though they sacrifice their lives for their country. And that continue and we continue to ignore that sacrifice. I don't know how we do that. And the problem is, it's not just Joe Biden. You know, this isn't this is a Democrat and Republican problem because they all have to come to an agreement on this thing to send this money. And we're just doing it. And nobody's thinking about the veterans. Nobody. But we're all in on Ukraine and further proof that the president is possibly smoking crack. I'm not going with dementia. I'm not I'm not believing it at this point. We have Americans struggling to keep up with record high gas prices and inflation. And President Biden decides to sell to China almost one million barrels of crude oil from our strategic oil reserves. Only a crackhead would do such a thing. Crackheads don't think about nobody else. They just think about getting high. They just think about what's in their best interest. And clearly, Biden is only thinking about himself and what's in his best interest, not the best interest of the country. And now the, the media is trying to praise him for the recent plunge in gas prices because gas dropped like maybe what, 20 cent? Bro, we are still paying the highest rates ever. I'm still paying $4 a gallon, actually $4.75 the other day over here where I live at. I put $100 in and it just barely got it below full. So needless to say, I'm looking forward to the end of the next two years where we can hopefully bring in a different president. But let's be honest, it's all the same for the most part at the end of the day. Like I teach my kids, the president, no politician or policy is going to save you. You got to save yourself. You got to save your money and do what you got to do at the end of the day, because these fools ain't looking out for you. And as much as I dislike Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, I'm quite fond of his wife, Jill Biden. My God, I do like Jill. She's pleasant, man. She's very pleasant. But unfortunately, the Biden family is probably having the worst week out of any president family in history. And even though she is pleasant, she had a bad, bad, bad go the other day. My Lord, my Lord. <laughs> if you all have not heard about this speech Dr. Jill Biden gave, I will play the controversial part for you. Listen up. But we can't get those things on our own. Raul helped build this organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, as distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. You know... There's just some things you don't do in life. And comparing Hispanic people to breakfast tacos is probably one of them. That's a no-go. And now I will say this in Jill Biden's defense. I don't think that she wrote that speech because we all know these people don't write these speeches. They have speech writers. And I, don't, I feel like somebody set her ass up. Somebody put that in the speech and she was just going along with reading it. It was on a teleprompter. And the next thing you know, you're on the national stage again on TV, begging the Hispanic population for forgiveness for insulting them. 
I really do feel like she was set up, man. I really do. But at the same time, this is coming from the family whose leader once said this about black people. You got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So should we really be surprised if she did write this speech and she did say that? I don't know, but I do know one thing. I'm going to stop talking about the Biden family before black SUVs pull up in front of my house and men in suits get out and start questioning me as to if I called the president a crackhead. Now, we can say for sure his son is a crackhead, for sure. But the president, ah, yeah, it's a little iffy. Maybe he is just suffering from dementia, clearly. But yeah, let me go ahead and move on before those black SUVs pull up. And I want to tell you all a story. I want to tell you all a tale that happened Sunday last week. I was at home, relaxing, enjoying a day off, having a good time with my family, and I was getting ready to take my kids to the pool. And that all came crashing down. You ever got a text message that, that just made your butthole tighten up? Well, I got that text message. I was sitting there with my kids, packing, getting ready to go to the pool, and I get a text from my lieutenant asking me if I was still working overtime at the park because my name was on the list, but I was not at roll call. Yeah, that, at that moment, my blood turned to ice in my veins. And I started, you know, the, my vision started to get real small and I had a mini heart attack. The next thing you know, I got to work really quick. I don't want y'all's judgment. Y'all probably late to work a lot more than me. That don't happen with me often. But I'll give y'all this one, though. So I get to the park and I'm working my detail and I make the decision to go and ask my lieutenant for permission to leave early so that I can go have that time with my family that I promised them. I promised my kids I was going to take them to the pool, man. I'm working on being a better daddy and being more present. So, yes, I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave early and take my kids to the pool. And I know what y'all are thinking. You freaking slug. How dare you come late and leave early? I already know. I know that is sluggish behavior, but that is not typical behavior for me. Like I said, I don't want your judgment. I don't do that every day. This 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 incident was unique and special. This is a one time deal. OK, so I've been policing a long time. I'm not a rookie officer anymore. The rookie officer pits when I would get done with work. I would drive home with my radio on and I would be at home and still listen to the radio. Because policing was my life and policing was all I did and all I knew. But now, fast forward 13 years later, when I'm off, I am off. My radio don't come on. I, I put the blinders on when I'm going home. I'm just your average, ordinary, scary looking Negro that you see walking by in the parking lot and gets scared and decide to lock your car doors. Why you do that? I don't know. You don't know me. It's all good. I'm not going to judge you. You don't judge me. And as I get to my car. It's really hot. And I decide, you know what be good right now? A slushy from Dairy Queen. So I drive to Dairy Queen in my private car, my POV, and I order me a medium, not a large, because I'm trying to be more health conscious. A medium raspberry slushy from Dairy Queen. And it's so ice cold on this hot day. It is glorious. And I'm excited about being home. And as I'm driving away from the Dairy Queen drive-thru, Sipping on my ice cold blue raspberry slush. I see a police car zoom by, lights and sirens. And I don't think twice about it. You know why? 
This is the hood. It's everyday occurrence, man. That's what we do down here. We drive code three because there's always somebody getting shot, stabbed, or there's always a fight or officers in trouble. It's that's just every day in my world. So I don't think nothing of it. I get home, start getting dressed to go to the pool. Next thing you know, my phone starts to blow up. And somebody says that there was an officer shot at the park. And I'm like, man, what park? And they say Shawnee Park. Man, my heart skips a beat. Then the next thing you know, I get on the live stream of one of our local protesters here. And I see all the officers that I was literally just with performing first aid on somebody that they shot. And I'm reading in the chat. That's Herbert Lee they shot. They just shot Herbert Lee. They just shot an unarmed man. And man, my head starts to spin. And I just start to think, what the heck happened between the little time I left, got my delicious raspberry slushy, and between the time I got home. Now, those of you all wondering that are not from the Louisville area, that are tuning in from across the world and across the globe, who is Herbert Lee? And I want to go ahead and preface this and say, because this is an active, ongoing investigation, I will not be giving my opinion as to the character of Herbert Lee. And the only reason I'm mentioning his name and who he is in this incident is because I am reading all this from the news. So this is not my opinion. This is not me trying to persuade you into an opinion about him. This is just me telling you the facts of the case. That's it. So Herbert Lee, he is well known here in Louisville and he has had more than his fair share of run-ins with law enforcement. Like I say, he is very well known amongst us in law enforcement. And let's just say he's never invited me or any of my friends to his birthday party or to his house for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I've never gotten any birthday cards from him and he's not got any from me. But I can tell you what I do know. He had three cases pending, three warrants, including 12 charges that were separate. And this comes from our PIO on the PD. So there was a possession of a handgun by a convicted felon charge, theft by unlawful taking firearm. That means he stole a firearm, tampering with physical evidence. That means he tried to ditch the firearm, receiving stolen property, firearm as well, fleeing and evading on foot because he ran criminal possession of a forged instrument in the second degree, theft by deception, a probation violation, receiving stolen property, wanton endangerment first. That's from shooting at officers. In violation of an EPO, that means somebody took out a, if you don't know what EPO is, that's pretty much, hey, don't come around me, don't come within 500 feet of me. The court says you can't be this close to me, and he violated that. And then there's also the harassment with physical contact charge. And my thing is, I don't know what it is with certain criminals, but it, it just doesn't make sense that if you know you have cases pending, you have warrants and you know the police are looking for you. Why would you go in public and show your face at one of the largest gatherings in the hood in an event that everybody loves and goes to every year? And you know the police are there. I don't understand. Now you are either really, really dumb or really, really arrogant. You know, this is just on a level of stupid stupidity that I can't even understand. I mean, we had a guy... And here in Louisville two weeks ago, he was wanted on a murder charge and he was riding an illegal 
bike down the sidewalk the wrong way and he had a bag full of drugs on him and he decides to give officers in the area the middle finger and they weren't even looking for him weren't even paying him no attention and they decide you know we're gonna we're gonna check this dude out since he's riding this illegal bike on the sidewalk the wrong way down the street the dude takes off crashes turns out he's wanted for murder and turns out that the bike he was rolling was stolen and they got the drugs off of him so my like why get the attention of the officers unless you want to get caught i don't understand i say i'm not the smartest man in the world but for some odd reason if i knew i had was wanted by law enforcement i would not be doing anything to garnish their attention if anything i'd pull up to them like hey officers Thank you for your service and what you do. I know you you all feel, don't feel appreciated right now, but I just want to say thank you, and then ride off into the sunset and not worry about a thing. I said I don't I don't understand what it is. I don't know why these young cats are that stupid, but I am thankful for their stupidity. And because of their stupidity, as our economy crashes and we go into a recession, I have confidence in my job security, and my job is not ever going to go anywhere for a long time. But I've digressed. So officers approach Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee takes off running. And the next thing you know, Mr. Lee fires a shot at the officers and strikes an officer in his vest. Officers return fire striking Lee. And at that point time, they move in and they start performing first aid on him. And as I am watching the live stream, I start to hear the chants from the crowd and the live streamer, the local protester. Black lives matter. Black Lives Matter. And we all know that chanting Black Lives Matter at the scene of a shooting, it's really going to help the person that got shot. You know, it's it's going to make a difference in their life, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and as I'm watching this scene unfold, that's when I realized that the false narrative was already up and spinning. They shot and killed him for no reason. They shot an unarmed black man. Uh, man, they're just going at it, and this narrative is up and spinning out of control. He didn't have a gun. He had a cell phone. And there were people saying that he didn't shoot the officer, but it was the case that the officers shot each other in crossfire. And so I have to step up and give my police department and our PIO some props for this incident, because this is the first time in a long time where I've seen this department get out ahead of a false narrative that is up and spinning first time in a long time in less than 24 hours we put out a statement we put out a photo of the officer's vest and the following day like a couple days later we released the video some of the body cam video not all of it because it's an investigation that's still pending you know and this is where a lot of police departments fail is getting out ahead of the narratives and putting the fire out before it spreads because this fire was already spreading i mean you could go into the comments on the news section of the release of the article and you could just see people were already saying man this didn't have to happen why they shoot him and kill him he had a cell phone and he was unarmed and we know evidence shows that this was not the case he was not armed he shot an officer and i'll be honest i was impressed with the local news at first the news did a great job of publishing the story saying that the uh shooting at the uh, shawnee park was justified but they also did a story in which they said eyewitnesses on scene saying that the shooting was not justified and now i understand that the news is going to go for the headline the news needs the controversy and chaos to create ratings so they interview people that were on scene 
And the eyewitnesses were saying, man, yeah, I saw the whole thing. He pulled out a cell phone and they shot him for nothing. They just shot him because he was black. Because we know that eyewitnesses don't lie, correct? Eyewitnesses never lie. Eyewitnesses aren't biased at all. Eyewitnesses always tell the truth, right? Wrong. Now, I remember we had an officer that shot and killed a black guy here in 2015. There was this guy that was an African immigrant, man. This dude was enormous. Enormous. And I remember... Man, this individual was extremely unstable and it was suffering from severe mental illness. This dude picks up a flagpole, approaches the officer, swings the pole, smacks the officer in the head with the pole. The officer returns fire and kills the, sus the subject. When I remember watching video the following day of an interview from an eyewitness that said, I saw the whole thing. He just walked up to that black man and shot him for no reason. And of course, the video shows that is not what happened. You know, I'm very glad that we live in a day and age where we have a lot more technology. And you can almost assume now as an officer that there's going to be a video somewhere. There's always somebody recording. There's always a camera, not just the one on your chest. I mean, there's cameras everywhere. And so I'm kind of glad we live in that day and age to where we can get ahead of the false lies and the false narratives that are being spun. So props to the PD and the news on that one. And but a lot of people don't understand why this shooting is so significant, because we have to look at the history of Mr. Herbert Lee. And like I said, this is not from me. This is all from the news. And I got this all from wave three. Like I said, this is not my opinion. These are facts put out by the news and our PIO. Now, I started on the police department here in 2009. And before I was got on the PD, we had this very big incident that happened in 2008, where we had Mr. Lee, who picked up some of his friends in a car at a church function. Well, the kids did not know that the car was stolen. And there were four young men in the car. Well, Mr. Lee, the police see the car, they recognize it as stolen, and they pursue the car. Mr. Lee ends up crashing the car, and he kills the four young men inside. Three brothers died in the, in the crash. It was the Claybrook brothers, and there was also another young black man. His name was Aaron Shields. So, you know, Lee gets caught. He goes to court and he received, like I said, he's 16 at the time and he receives a 10 year sentence. But due to state law, he's only served one year. All right. And then he was freed after that. Uh, and I remember him saying, watching this statement in court saying, I will never steal another car again. I'm going to change. I'm never going to do this again. And he turns 18 and less than two years later, 2012, he steals another car. And I remember seeing that headline in the paper. It was this red, really nice red Corvette. You know, they had a picture of him in it, and it's just like. And with that charge, he pleaded guilty and to receiving stolen property and received a three-year sentence according to the Commonwealth. So he's out. He's let out of prison early, and he gets arrested again a couple months later in February 2014. And during that incident, he runs from the police, gets caught, kicked out the window of the police car, and receives a 10-year sentence. And State law allowed him to be out of parole after serving four years. Fast forward to 2019. He is arrested on a robbery charge for putting a gun to a teenager's head and taking the $7,000 this kid bought to buy a car from him. So the case was ended up being dismissed because there was a issue in court with the uh, proof with the proof. The case gets pleaded down and he takes a plea for receiving stolen property. Served six months. Then 2019, he was arrested for strangulation and domestic violence, and those charges were amended down to a misdemeanor. 
instead of the felony that he was actually facing. And he served a total of 10 days for that and was put on probation for two years. And the sentence included 355 days to serve if he violated the terms. And then another incident in June of 2021, he was arrested twice in one day. The first set of charges was for allegedly running from the police who recognized him from a wanted poster. And during that time, police found a gun on him and he was not supposed to have a gun because he was a convicted felon. And the gun he had on him turned out to be stolen. And during that time, officers also charged him with an arrest warrant from an April 2021 case in which a person had reported their gun was stolen. And so he was given a bond on this and he got out. And once he was out, he stopped showing up to court, which is where the officers approached him that day in the park because he had warrants from that case. So let me all tell you my opinion separate from this. This is the most frustrating thing for myself and many officers across the country. There is no justice in the justice system. The system is broken. I have said it on here time and time again. And what makes me mad about this whole incident with him and this officer being shot is this incident should have never happened. But because our system is so broken and flawed and soft, people constantly get out and are let out to reoffend. And because this system failed, this system, I ain't going to say the system overall, but you no, know, the courts, the courts failed. And because the courts failed, an officer got shot. What is the point in having a criminal justice system in a court if no one is ever punished? There's no consequences or repercussions for doing bad things and hurting people. Why do we even have a system in place? It might as well be anarchy because there is no justice in the system. What about the victims? What about the people he's hurt over the years? That's not an opinion. That's a fact. There are victims in this man's life, in his history, but nobody thinks about them. Man, like I said, the courts have so much blood on their hands in this whole thing. And I mean, how many times, how many Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eight chances do people have to get before they turn it around or before the system is like enough. We're done. You're going away for a long time. You know, and this is the most aggravating part of the job. When I put on my uniform and go to work to get bad guys and take them off the street to keep the community safe. You know, and I keep coming out here, me and my buddies every day to take care of this community. But for some odd reason. The courts don't work like I said the lack of justice in the courts is so aggravating this is the hardest part of the job and I can accept a lot of things but it is hard for me to accept the fact that all my hard work that I put in all the hard work that my buddies put in to catch bad guys and put them behind bars is futile no matter how airtight the case is everyone wants to hold the police accountable but for some odd reason we never hold the judges and the lawyers and the courts accountable we don't I hate it for myself. I hate it for the people I work with. I hate it for the citizens in the city. And this isn't just Louisville. This is across the United States. This happens on the federal level. I thought it would be different in the feds, but it's the same thing. There's no consequences to bad behavior and decisions. And we are only as safe as our politicians and judges, judges allow us to be. And right now, this incident is telling me that this, these people do not care about us. They do not care about our families. They don't care about officers because we keep having to hunt down, fight and arrest the same repeat offenders. 
this has to stop. It has to stop. You know where it starts? Voting. That's the only way it stops. We have to vote these people out of their spots and put in people who believe in justice and understand that everyone needs to go to jail, but you can't have the same offender reoffend over and over and over. And not just minor offenses. We're talking violent offenses. Some people should just be in jail because they can't function in society. Unfortunately, the truth is the people that run this clown show aren't going to care until something happens to them or their family members or someone they love. Then they'll want to bring the full brunt force of the law to try to put this person away and keep him in jail. And the other thing that drives me crazy about this is that we have protesters and people on the far left saying that the system is broken. The system is rigged against black people. The system is set up to hold us back. The system's not fair. Well, let me look at this situation and many others that happen like it across the country. The system sucks. If the system was any good, these people be in jail. So clearly the system is not working against them. The system is actually working for them because it's keeping them out of jail and it's keeping them from having to suffer the consequences of the decisions they make. So I am tired of hearing black people say that the system is not fair and the system works to keep us in jail when this is the exact opposite. If anything, y'all should be happy with this current system if you're a criminal because you know people here in Louisville know if I get arrested, guess what? I'm getting out. Ain't nothing going to happen to me. Give me my probation. Hey, give me my two years shelf time. I'm going to keep doing what I do. And you're going to catch me again. And guess what? Nothing's going to change. I'm going to keep doing what I do. Because we have created this system, this flawed system that does not work. And it could work. But for some odd reason, they don't let it work. And it drives me crazy that Black Lives Matter is ready to start a movement behind Herbert Lee. A movement by a man that allegedly, hate that word, allegedly shot a cop. You know, they want to scream his name and say his name. But if you ask them who Alan Wilson is, they're not going to be able to tell you who that is. They don't care. Alan Wilson was a 13-year-old black kid that was shot and killed here in Louisville a couple weeks ago. No one has said his name. There's no one marching for him. There are no cries of justice for him. His life is cannon fodder, man. And we're supposed to just blindly accept the death of young black men as normal. I learned this saying from the protesters. Silence is compliance and silence is violence. And guess what? The silence on the death of young black men in this country, not at the hands of police officers, but in black neighborhoods, everyone's quiet. But we make a noise and raise hell and burn down cities for people like George Floyd. People that sell drugs and involved in a drug game like Breonna Taylor. People that allegedly shoot cops. Herbert Lee. And, you know, now they're saying that with this Herbert Lee incident, they're trying to say, man, they did. They did him like Jalen Walker. If you all don't know who Jalen Walker is, he was the individual, a young black man that was shot and killed in Akron, Ohio, about a week ago. According to the media, he was not shot and killed. He was executed. And, you know, the, the Jalen Walker case and the Herbert Lee case have a lot of similarities in common. Well, for the Jalen Walker case, if you aren't aware so earlier in the day, Jalen Walker was uh, stopped by a cop in a different city. Well, he took off and fled. The officer pursued him. He crossed the line and he stopped pursuing. 
Well, later that night, officers picked up that same vehicle and they recognized it as the vehicle that was in pursuit earlier. Officers pursue, like, you know, light the car up, try to stop him. He takes off and fails to yield for the officers. Officers pursue. During the vehicle pursuit, Mr. Jalen Walker allegedly, there's that word again, allegedly, fires a shot at the cops. So the next thing you know, Jalen Walker starts to stop his car, goes onto the sidewalk into the grass. And the next thing you know, he bails out of the car through the uh, passenger side. He has on a black ski mask and starts to run. I think it was 13 officers pursued him on foot. And as he was running, he turns around, makes a furtive movement towards his waistband is from what I'm reading and have read and found out about the case. And the officers, eight of them, fire and strike Jalen Walker. Now, the reports were that he was shot between 40 and 70 times. I just saw a story the other day that said he was hit about 60 times. And everyone's like, this is excessive. This is wrong. They executed that young man. And I tell people, I understand why people are upset because, you know, it's like 60 shots. Yeah, it's a lot. But you got to understand how that happened and why. I mean, isn't it normal for I mean, who doesn't ride around at two o'clock at night being chased by the police wearing a ski mask? Doesn't don't all don't you wait? You all don't wear a black ski mask at two thirty in the morning. No. OK. Yeah. Maybe it's me. OK. Maybe it's just weird. That is that is not normal behavior. That is not typical. And see, when he bails from the vehicle, the cops don't know that this guy is unarmed. So when he was shot, he was unarmed. No, they later found the gun in the car in his driver's seat and the magazine was out of the weapon and in the seat. And I do believe that the officers were able to find the shell casing on the road in the area where he fired the shot at the officers. Yeah, but of course, people are disputing that. Man, that's there from a long time ago, man. That ain't, you know, they put that there, man. They put, that's a drop gun. They put that gun down there. And you see, like I said, the officers did not know that that gun was in that car. They never got a chance to clear it. And so there are, they are in their mind believing and assuming that this individual who just allegedly fired a shot at them is still armed. And he turns around and he is met with a wall of gunfire. And the thing is, people don't understand if eight officers shot. Because from my time and my knowledge and experience, if all these officers saw the same thing, him turning around instantly after fleeing, if all officers thinking this dude shot at us and he still has a gun and they all see him turn around and reach for his waistband, they are all going to fire. And so you got to look at it like this. If you got eight officers that fire 10 shots, that's 80 shots. He was hit around 60 times. Now, you take away all those officers shooting and you make this a one on one situation between Jalen Walker and an officer and that officer fires 10 shots. You're not going to say anything. But because there were eight officers in pursuit, there's a lot more rounds being fired because there's a lot more officers that possibly see the same threat. And now there are things that happen, such as sympathetic fire, where an officer sees another officer firing. And guess what? He's going to start firing as well because he believes that his partner sees something that he doesn't see. Although that's not good training, you have to be able to visually see the threat yourself. And you got to remember, this is at nighttime. It's nighttime. You can't see everything at night. And so this happens and he gets shot, man. They do first aid on him and he dies. You know, and it's the same thing that happened here in Louisville with the Herbert Lee shooting. 
five officers are in pursuit. You know, he takes allegedly takes a shot at the officers. All five officers return fire. I don't know how many times Herbert Lee was shot, but he's still alive. You know, and he's currently being, you know, he was released from the jail the other day. Now he's been since released from the hospital and is now in jail awaiting the criminal justice process that is clearly broken here in the city. And not only are people upset about the number of shots fired in the Jalen Walker case, and I will tell you all this, I watched the video and there might be one set of problems. And that is the amount of times he was shot after he hit the ground and officers kept firing. Now, somebody asked me, isn't that overkill? My thing is when, when it comes to a gunfight, there is no such thing as overkill. If you shoot at me, the whole mission of a gunfight is to win the fight. If you shoot one and I just happen to shoot back a hundred, it don't matter. Deadly force is authorized if it's by one bullet or a thousand bullets. Deadly force is authorized, period. When deadly force is authorized, I'm allowed to kill you any way possible that I need to. And if I got a hundred bullets on me, guess what? I'm gonna dump them hundred bullets. Like I say, it's your fault for firing that shot. Nobody else's fault. So it doesn't really matter. But of course, the public does not see it like that. They just see it as excessive force. And because of the media and all these false narratives that spin around it, look, they want you all to believe that it's an execution of an unarmed black man. And it's not that simple. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But that's why I'm here to tell you all the possible things that these officers were thinking, the possible things that the, you know, the, the reason that this outcome happened. You know, then we have people that are complaining again and using the statement that I hear, I hear it so much and I absolutely hate it. If he was white, they wouldn't have shot him like that. If he was white, they wouldn't have done that. And the examples they're using here is we had an incident here in Kentucky a couple weeks ago. Very tragic incident, man. We had three police officers killed in the line of duty in one incident in a canine and a bunch of other officers were shot. That was in Allen, Kentucky. Man, officers went to go serve a warrant at this house. The suspect was white. And while they were there, well, when they were pulling up, this the subject in the house had a 200 yard field of view and he had weapons set up throughout his house. And when he saw the officers pull up, he started to open fire. And these officers did not have a chance to defend themselves. This man gunned down those officers in a hell of gunfire. I mean, they didn't even get a chance to get their weapons off, man. And the next thing you know, it turns into a standoff for hours. And at the end of the standoff, the individual comes out of the house and he surrenders and he is taken into custody. And now people are saying if he would have been black, they would have killed him. That's not true. Not true at all. This individual was taken into custody because it doesn't matter what you do. Once you surrender and you come out and you're not a threat, you are not going to get shot. Compliance is key, people. That is all that is. Compliance is key. And that is why that individual was taken into custody alive. Not because he was white. You think officers care? No. Officers just want to live. We just want to know that, hey, you ain't going to try to kill me. Just like I said, if you walk into a nursery and you kill 100 babies, and I'm on scene. And when I get there, you're not killing those babies and you're on your knees with your hand in the air. Regardless of how I feel, I can't kill you.
That's murder because you're no longer posing a threat. Once you stop posing a threat to officers, we cannot kill you. And I mean, it was and they're using the and people are also using the Highland Park shooting from the 4th of July. And the fact that the officers also took this individual into custody without issue, without having to shoot him and kill him. Well, if you watch the video, officers performed a felony traffic stop on that vehicle. They called him out of the vehicle. He gets out of the vehicle with his hands in the air and he's complying with the officer's orders and he's moving back to the car listening and they take him into custody without issue because he complied. This man had killed seven people at a freaking 4th of July parade and wounded many others and was taken alive. It's not because he's white. It's because of his actions and behavior. It's because of his action and behavior and compliance. People want you to believe that it's only black people that die like this, that even if black people comply, they're going to die. Not the case, man. There was a shooting in, I believe it was 2015, 2016, Prince George in uh, Prince George County, Virginia. Man, there are these three brothers, they're black. They attack a police station and they shoot and kill a black officer in the parking lot. Guess what? All three brothers were taken into custody alive. All three. So the case, the, the fact that, you know, we only shoot and kill white people, that's absolutely false. When it comes to these type of incidents, man, people want their bias confirmed and they start searching out these stories online and showing pictures of all these white people that have committed these atrocious acts and killed a bunch of people that were taken into custody. But of course, they'll ignore a story like this one in Prince George County where three black brothers are, you know, kill a cop and are taken alive or taken into custody alive. People just want their biases com, you know, confirmed. That's all because you can find whatever it is you're looking for online to satisfy your bias. And this belief that white people don't get gunned down by police simply because they're white. That's an absolutely false narrative. No, won't y'all ask Samuel Edwards if this is true? Oh, you can't know why? Because he's dead. If you don't know who Samuel Edwards is, he was the individual that there was a manhunt for. A couple weeks ago, he shot an officer down in Henderson, Tennessee. And of course, thank God the officer lived. And so somehow this guy makes his way to Louisville and he gets into a car chase with Kentucky State Troopers. And you know what? There are just some things in life you don't do. And one thing you don't do is run from Kentucky State Police. If you see a very, very large man in a gray uniform with a round hat in your rearview mirror, it is in your best interest to stop and comply, because if you don't, he's going to come call all his friends and his buddies that are just as big as him. And they are very angry and it does not end well for you. Well, Samuel Edwards leads officers on a chase here in Louisville down on South Dixie Highway. And I told you all about Dixie Highway earlier in the show. I don't mess with Dixie Highway. We call it the Dixie Dieway, man. Of course, this would happen on Dixie Highway <laughs> in the third division. But, you know, this guy, he takes the officers on a chase, fires at the police, crashes the car. And this white individual dies in a hell of gunfire. I mean, there was a lot of bullets fired at this dude. A lot. I mean, this dude became human Swiss cheese at this point. He was D.E.D. dead and he's white. So you can miss me with the whole officers only shoot and kill black people. Like I said, if Samuel Edwards could talk right now, he would tell you 
man, I FAFO'd. So can we just please put the put to death this false narrative that officers only shoot and kill black people in a hell of gunfire? I just proven to y'all that that is not true. And like I said, most people just want their bias confirmed. That's all. And I am not here to confirm anyone's bias. I am here to challenge your worldview that you don't want challenged. That's all. I'm here to give you a fair take and hopefully explain to you all how these things happen and unfold. But the one thing I want you all to take away from this is compliance is key. If you comply, you will not die. I promise that. I'm telling you, people, I've been black 38 years. I've had run-in with, run-ins with cops and I'm still alive. And a lot more black people have had run-in with cops and they are still alive. But we all, of course, we have that small smidget of the population that's black, white, whatever. It don't even matter the color that don't comply with officers. And when things go sideways, they end up getting killed because the side of the road is not the place to try to prove your innocence with the, with the law enforcement officer. That is what the courtroom is for. And I know it's weird to say that because I tell you that there's no justice in the justice system. But you know what? I'd rather take my chances within that system as opposed to having my face plastered on a shirt and people at my funeral crying over my dead shot up body. Like I said, I'd rather take my chances in a broken system than on the side of the road fighting with the cop who's calling all his friends to come and play with them. It just ain't worth it, man. It is just not worth it. And I have one more example for you all of how jacked up the justice system is. So I think it was last week in New York City, a 60 year one year old man named Jose Alba was charged with murder in New York City. So if you all are not familiar with the story, Mr. Alba, like I said, Mr. Alba, he works at a bodega. This lady comes in tries to purchase some stuff and her card's not working. He tells her to leave. She doesn't want to leave. She starts arguing with him. He takes the stuff back from her and they get into an argument and a dispute. And she's alleging that her daughter grabbed her something. He grabbed her arm and it just spirals out of control from there. And there's, like I said, there's video of this incident and she's heard on the video saying, my nigga's going to come down here right now and fuck you up. Well, her boyfriend comes to the scene, comes to the bodega, and goes behind the counter where Mr. Alba, where Mr. Alba is. And well, he goes to put hands on Mr. Alba. According to the female witness, he was he was trying to pull him from behind the counter to force him to apologize to to their daughter. Well, and at this point, Mr. Alba, I'm believing, feels like he's being attacked and he pulls out a knife and he stabs the suspect and he stabbed him in the neck and at least in the five times in the chest. Suspect goes to the hospital and dies. You know, he was Mr. Alba was, was arrested the following day and had an enormous bond put on him. But the judge finally lowered it down to fifty thousand dollars. But it's just absolutely insane, man, that self-defense in this country has become taboo. Like you're no longer allowed to defend yourself in this country, because at what point do you as a citizen think you can just go behind the cash register of a place and put your hands on somebody working there, especially in these, in these urban centers where places like this get robbed all the time. No, that's, that's not right, man. This dude should not be arrested because the idiot should have never gone behind the counter and put his hands on that man. It's a clear case of self-defense, but of course the New York city district attorney, you know, he's very, a left-leaning, you know, liberal guy, man. And I'm sure he's battling in his heart between 
a black man getting killed and a and a foreign Hispanic guy killing him. I'm sure his little liberal heart and mind just can't take it. And he just, how do I solve this without making either side mad? You know, you know how you solve that? By being just and not filing charges on this guy for self-defense. That's how you solve that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and before I get out of here, I got to do a little house cleaning. I don't know if you all remember, but if you go back to my shows, I had Mr. Corbin Sievers on my show. Corbin is an amazing man, and he runs a phenomenal organization out here in Louisville, the West Louisville Chess Club. And he tries to teach kids from not so great upbringings how to play chess. Not only that, Corbin is just brilliant, and he is constantly having events, trying to educate people. And what he is trying to do now is educate, educate people on the Holocaust, because a lot of places and schools now don't talk about the Holocaust because they said it's not appropriate for kids. But when you have millions of people that get killed by another class of people, I think it's kind of important that we teach our children about that, because if you don't know your history, you are doomed to repeat it. And so what Corbin has going on is on August 28th here in Louisville, Kentucky, at Louisville Lunch at 816 East Broadway, Corbin is hosting an event that's called Why Holocaust Education. And he's going to have a guest speaker whose name is Rabbi Leviathan. And I probably butchered that name. My bad. If I did, my man, I am not Jewish and I have a heart and county education. So don't hold that against me. But so what he is trying to do, he is trying to hold this event to educate people on the Holocaust. And what he also needs is he's trying to raise funds for this event. You know, he is trying to raise five hundred dollars. Like I said, now that's not a lot of money. And so any little bit that anyone listening to the show can donate and can help will go a long way. So if you want to donate, send my man Corbin an email at urban Louisville chess at yahoo.com. That is urban Louisville chess at yahoo.com. And y'all know how I feel about talking about death on the show. I do my best to not talk about death because we get reminders every day in this profession and, and, and on the news in general. And for me, I don't want to focus on death. I'd rather focus on life. But sometimes, unfortunately, I feel like I have to talk about death and we have to remember some of the people that we've lost. And the last few weeks in law enforcement, man, have been super tough. I mean, we have had some horrendous losses and I'm just right now going to do a roll call for those officers that we recently lost over the last few weeks. So like I told y'all, we had the giant event here in Allen, Kentucky. We lost three officers and the first officer we lost was Captain Ralph Harlow Frazier. He was with the Prestonburg Police Department. He died on June 30th, 2022 and also killed in that incident was Deputy Sheriff William Edward Petrie. He was with the Floyd County Sheriff's Office. He died June 30th, 2022. Also killed in that incident was police officer Jacob Ruffle Schaffens. He was a police officer with the Preston Police Department here in Kentucky. He died days later after those guys on July 1st, 2022. I would like to have a moment of silence for those individual and all the other law enforcement officers that we have lost over the last few weeks. My heart, my thoughts and prayers go out to the departments and the families of those affected by these horrible losses, man. I mean, it never gets easier. 
you just never you just never know going to work. And I always think about those guys of how many houses have I gone to where I'm going to serve a warrant real quicker. You know, you just you don't think that today is going to be the day. I mean, you go to work with plans for what you're going to do at the work. You go to work with plans for what you're going to do for vacation in a couple months, what you and your wife and your kids are going to do. I mean, we make plans for years out. But unfortunately, in this profession, no matter how much you train, no matter how much time you put in, the enemy always gets a vote. And in this incident here in Kentucky, and like I said, these poor officers didn't have a chance. There was nothing more that they could have done that would have you know, kept them alive. So unfortunately, sometimes when it's your time, it is just your time. I've known some great men in this life that have died, that did everything that right, but still, because war, combat, life, pretty much all the same. And sometimes we just can't control every variable and every factor. And all we can do is just be ready to go when it's our time and make sure that our families are taken care of in our absence. And those of us still here on the other side, we have to take care of our brothers, families in their absence. And speaking of brothers, as you all know, I'm a proud member of the 10th Mountain Division. I was part of the Golden Dragons Alpha Company 214. I served with this unit from 2003 to 2006, and I proudly served in Iraq. And unfortunately, I hate to focus on loss, but I have to talk about these two recent losses that my battalion just recently had. And it's tragic because, you know, you just don't expect to lose anybody. But when you lose one guy, it's like it hurts and it hits and it sucks. But then you lose another guy that you served with. It just hits hard, man. But on July 12th, my brother, my fellow Golden Dragon, Zach Scaff, he and I served together over in Iraq. And we, sur we survived the Iraq war, but unfortunately, he lost the war at home and he was overcome by the darkness and he made the unfortunate decision to end his life. Adding to the grief and the sorrow of those around him and his family. You know, I've lost so many brothers over the years that have made that choice to bring an end to their suffering on this side of life. And it, it gets harder every time. And like I said, I know that struggle. I've been there. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I talk about it in my book. Everybody goes through something. Everybody has some sort of struggle. You know, and everyone's saying, man, we should have done more. We should have done more. And you know what? Sometimes there's only so much we can do because sometimes life hits us so hard. And you keep getting back up, but sometimes life deals you that final blow and you just don't want to get back up and unfortunately our brother who served with honor decided that it was time for him to go home and then two days after we lost Scaff we lost another one of our brothers Jeremy Wood you know we lost him all of a sudden to a heart attack and just horrible timing man just two days later well everybody was still trying to wrap their head around what happened with our brother Scaff and then we lose, you know, Wood. And 
Like I said, I have not talked to either of these guys in a long time. I mean, it's been, my God, it's been since about 2005. But you know what? That is the thing what people don't realize about about a lot of us military guys. I could go 20 years without talking to a lot of my brothers I served with because we are all still living lives. But that time does not erode that bond that we all shared from being in combat together. There's nothing on this earth that can ever erode that no matter how much time goes by. And that's the thing with us. We don't have to talk every day to know that we love and care about each other because we served in this life in one of the most horrendous conditions on earth. And that's during a time of war. And once you go through, go to war with somebody, there is nothing outside of war that can tear that bond apart. And I'm proud to have served with both of these men, you know, and I was looking at their obituary pictures and I was looking at some of their most recent pictures and just seeing the gray in their beards and just looking at the pictures from women that we were all younger and me, I still remember them as those young warriors that we all served together in Iraq. That's how I still see them. I don't see them as older men. I still see them as those young warriors. And just because they're not in the uniform anymore, it does not mean that they are no longer warriors and they will forever be warriors to me. And they will always forever be warriors in my heart. And so what me and my buddies from Alpha Company 214, and so what we have done is started a safety net, a Facebook page for everyone to where we all come together and we all put our numbers in there and we say, hey, this is who I am. This is when I serve. You need anything, call me. And man, we have filled this page with all our numbers because we don't want another one of our brothers to be lost to the war at home because we've lost too many already. And man, and it's so good just seeing everyone come together, even though, you know, the circumstances are, are unfortunate. It's good to see everyone come together to try to, you know, re reunite that bond that we've all had, you know. And so it's I'm excited now because we're planning a reunion sometime next year, man. And I cannot wait to see everybody that I serve with. Well, not everybody, but <laughs> might be some bad blood still if you read my book with some people. But I mean, you know, I've gone on, man, but that, you know, they're still my brothers. Even if we, some of us didn't get along over there, they are still my brothers, man. So I would encourage anybody that is military or law enforcement, man, anybody, if you have a group of friends and we all, cause we all know guys are horrible and notoriously awful at keeping in touch. My wife will tell you I'm horrible with staying in touch with people, but sometimes you need a place where you all can gather and just spread your numbers and spread your info because you never know when someone might hit you up on that phone and might need to talk. And even better, I found out that there's two brothers that I serve with that live in the same area as me and I never even knew it. So I'm very excited about that and sorry to be a drag on the show, but before we end this episode, I want to go ahead and have another moment of silence for my two fallen brothers. Cheers to my fallen brothers. We will see you in the sky. 214 infantry fellas, right of the line. Ladies and gentlemen, 
This has been the I Am Pits podcast. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in. Thank you all for the emails that you all have sent me. Thank you for the support. And thank you for spending your free time listening to me and what I have to say. Because there's a lot of people that got a lot of stuff to say. There's a lot of podcasts, but you all see fit to give me an hour and 20 or 30 minutes of your time when I put these shows out. And I just want you to know it does not go unnoticed. And every download is appreciated. Thank you so much. And also, like I said, my book is out. I am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. And I've gotten a lot of great reviews. Reviews are still coming in. And so if you are looking for a great book to read this summer, that is gut-riching, heart-riching, and just something and very thought-provoking book, pick up my book. So like I say, if you want a copy, go to IamPits.com and get yourself an order. Or if you would like to purchase a signed autographed copy from me, send me an email to IamPits at Yahoo.com. Also, be sure to follow me on my social media stuff. I know. I'm a boomer. I'm still working on it, y'all. I'm getting it together. But follow me at I am Pitts one on Instagram and also follow me on Facebook at I am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot on Facebook. I also have TikTok. Oh, God, I don't want to get into that, man. That thing is a whole nightmare. And no, I'm not going to be doing any TikTok dances. So y'all can go ahead and put that out your mind. But follow me on TikTok at I am Pitts as well on there. And so with that said, I'm going to go ahead and I'll hop off of here. Once again, thank you all for tuning in. Like I said, you all are appreciated more than you know. Ladies and gentlemen, I will see you all on the next one.